it takes something big to be big enough to chop up into smaller pieces. Well, 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 come back to the Wild Business Growth Podcast. This is your place to hear from a new entrepreneur or innovator every single Wednesday morning who's turning wild ideas into wild growth. I'm your host, Max Brandstetter, founder and podcast producer at Max Podcasting. And you can reach me at max at maxpodcasting.com for help bringing your podcast to life and using it as a business building tool. This is episode 122, and today's guest is A. Lee Judge. Lee is the founder of Content Monster, an awesome content marketing agency who makes monster content across the digital landscape for both individuals and businesses. He was a virtual keynote speaker at Content Marketing World 2020, and he also started his career as a DJ, and that's actually where he learned a lot of his business chops. In this interview, we talked about big content, what it is and why it's so important, the lessons he learned from the DJ world that have translated into the business world, and maybe some monsters as well. We'll let you be the judge of this big content in itself. Enjoy the show. Alrighty, we are here with A. Lee Judge Lee, the content monster himself. Lee, how are you doing today? Doing great, Max. Thanks for having me, man. Of course, of course. Well, Thank you for coming on. Uh, this is this is really really cool. I uh, I think Wild Business Growth Podcast and Content Monster is just a nice fit there. So maybe we could just end the end the interview right now. I mean that, that's basically Wild it. Monster fit. <laughs> <laughs> wild monsters all around. But uh, before we get into kind of the more business side of things, I'd love to go back to your DJ days when you were DJ Judgmental. Can you kind of <laughs> jump us to that time in your life and describe what was going on you did your research <laughs> i did yes well you sent me a you know like your whole uh, biography on no i'm just kidding yeah well that's something that I actually uh, you know I, I kept i wouldn't say secret but i didn't talk about for a long time um until i realized how much of that life as a dj has contributed to me as a marketer as a business person um in fact one day i eventually I think it's on my on my YouTube channel too. I eventually made a video. It was a split screen video of me talking to myself. It was the DJ talking to the the business marketer, and it was the DJ reminding me that hey, you know, I'm the one who taught you how to how to size your market, how to uh, market your company, you know, how to do little things like writing contracts and and closing deals and and marketing basically. So that that my roots of marketing, the part that makes my marketing gives us its flavor came from being a DJ. So as a DJ, just to give you a background on that, um, you know, I started DJing in high school then all the way through college, uh, in college, I, um, you know, I never took it as just fun or just, um, just DJing it was always a business. I come from an entrepreneurial family. So, uh, even in college, I had a point where I had three DJ systems. And so to any given weekend night, I could be at two nightclubs and a frat party all at the same time because I had a business and not just, I wasn't just a DJ. When I moved to Atlanta to get into a bigger radio market, I was doing radio at the time in North Carolina. I moved to Atlanta to get in a bigger radio market. 
Um, and at that point, you know, I took a job, not a career, a job doing marketing, not thinking it was going to be a career, but it was a job in marketing while I was here in order to get involved deeper in the music industry. So at that time I began touring as a DJ. I did a lot of international touring and even within the industry, the music industry at the time, I realized that I was marketing myself better within the industry to other businesses within the industry than I was to individual fans. And what I didn't know was I was doing B2B marketing instead of B2C marketing. And I actually asked a DJ who was a, a head of a, a DJ coalition. And that particular coalition was touring with all the big acts. They had all the big tours for rappers. They were on the road with these guys. And I'm like, hey, let me join your coalition. He's like, judge, you know, what you need to do is you need to do more branding. You know, need, need to toot your own horn a little bit louder. And I was like, wow, you know, I've never thought about tooting my own horn and talking about myself. But what he was introducing me to was personal branding. I mean, every DJ lives off of personal branding, you know, because he's playing the same music the other person's playing, but he has to do it in his own unique way. And so that's another root of where my marketing comes from is being able to take the same thing that someone else has and remixing it and repurposing it in a way that only you can do. Another thing that I use now is marketing. You know, you take the same content and you remix it and you repurpose it and you use it some way that nobody else can present that particular content. So there's so many things that came from my DJ life, from personal branding to remixing content um, to just the business sense, all came from DJing. And so as I parallel, had this parallel life of this, you know, this Clark Kent, Superman type thing. Well, I was going to say, you beat me to it. I was just about to say Clark Kent and Superman. It was definitely that, man. I mean, there were days when, I would leave the office in a suit, jump into my truck, strip down to a T-shirt, you know, a hat and baggy jeans or whatever, and run to, like, the airport sometimes to fly to another country. I would literally leave work sometimes Thursday evening, Friday evening, fly to Europe, do two club nights, and be back in time to be at work on Monday. Now, I, I did that for a few years. And that was, in, in fact, the people at work, if I told them, oh, yeah, by the way, I was in Germany last night, they'd be like, get out of here. You know, you're a marketer. That that didn't happen. But, I mean, even then, uh, I look back on it, and, you know, I have posters still now that I have that have, you know, posters of me in other countries, and I can't even read the language the poster is in. And that was all marketing to get to that point. It was doing radio, doing mixtapes, promoting myself, um, doing email. I used to do email newsletters. It's like a, like a Gary V story. You know, I used to do email newsletters when I got 99% open rate. But I was doing that. Those were the days. Those were the days, right? It's a little bit different now. A little bit different. 9% maybe, <laughs> let alone 99. I was doing email blasts. I had a marketing database. I guess it would be a CRM. I was doing all these things that I still to do today for, for corporations, but I learned it grassroots guerrilla marketing as a DJ. So wrapping up the DJ thing, you know, I, I officially retired about a year and a half ago, but I've been doing, you know, white collar business B2B marketing ever since all the whole time. And so I never, never let go of all the things that I learned and brought to this point as a DJ. So now I get to use those and find those to be unique ways to help teach other marketers to be unique marketers. That is a hell of a story. I think uh, I, I can't even imagine going to like Germany on one night, going back the next day and uh, working on something completely different. That's, that's quite the life there. What is the biggest change as far as the day-to-day -day goes for you now as far as being obviously you know when you were doing the dj thing 
music is such a big part of it. You know, personal branding, branding, <laughs> branding on the personal side, branding, marketing yourself, getting your stuff out there. It all ties back to music. So you kind of always have that, that pulse bump and you have that like music is something that just always has so much energy. How do you find the ability to, to motivate yourself, to motivate your clients when it's not always music focused all the time, when it could be in such a wide range of different sectors, industries that you operate in? You know, that's an easy one. It's it's all about attention. You know, a DJ um, is only as good as the crowd he can draw. So the same thing with your business. If your business can't get attention, if you can't be known for particular, in my case for a DJ, it was a particular genre or style of mixing or style of music. Same thing for your business. It's all about getting the attention and owning that market and being known for what you do. Um, so it, it translates pretty well, actually. And, you know, whenever there's a loss for, you know, what can we do unique for this company? I kind of lean back on, okay, how can we remix this? Or what's unique about what you do? They may say, well, you know, we're, you know, we're a software company who does security software. Everybody does security software. What's different about us? And so, you know, I'll look to see, you know, what is it about what you've done or what your company has? Is it the people that are unique? Is it your past experiences? Is it the mistakes you've made that you've recovered from that make you different? There's something in there that makes you unique um, so that there's ways you can market yourself differently. So I definitely parallel, you know, the biggest thing is, is the attention. How do you get attention for your brand? And speaking of attention, I think your brand, your company, Content Monster, first of all, I mean, the name Monster in itself is very attention grabbing. I mentioned earlier how it try to take a similar approach with this podcast name, but where did this idea and the origin story of this business come from? Like, as you got more into the marketing space, when did it become clear that, Hey, I can start my own company and build this content monster? Well, two things kind of happened. So, so first it was the, the personal brand thing it was just what I was doing. I was just creating content for myself and I was thinking about personal branding and someone said, man, you're a monster with all the content you're making. Because I was like, they thought I had a staff already at that point. It was just me. And they thought I had a staff of like 50 people because they were always, they were finding blogs and posts and videos and all this content just kept coming from wherever they went, whether it was Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn, they kept seeing my content. So that's where the word kind of got there. Um, from a business standpoint, I actually was a marketing director within a company and I wanted to have some video for my client. They, they were a software company and they needed some demonstrations. They needed some thought leadership video. Since I was already interested in, you know, having gear and equipment for myself, for building, for building my own brand, I already had, you know, some cameras and some audio equipment. So uh, instead of going out to, uh, for, to another vendor, I said, hey, I'll just create this stuff myself for the company I worked for. So here it is. It's my equipment, my expertise, but I worked for another company doing thought leadership videos for them. So I did these videos and another company who knew me personally um, saw their videos on LinkedIn and said, Hey Lee, we love the video their company just put out. I know you're their marketing director. So tell me, was that done outside by a vendor or did you do that? And I said, well, kind of both. I mean, I served as the vendor, but I work here. So it was kind of in-house and it was my equipment, but it's kind of in-house, kind of outhouse. They said, well, can you do it for us? And I was like, sure, I'll do some videos for you. They became my first client. Uh, that was the first content monster client. So yeah, th about that time, I don't remember you know the exact dates, but kind of the company accelerated into a formal company. 
um, to doing content for more than just myself. And that was my first client. And from there, we just began doing lots of um, videos. And then we begin, as we're going to talk about in a moment, creating that big content. Because from there, we made the videos for them. And then we also ended up doing podcasts. And, you know, that's we found our niche was in actually the actual production of content versus uh, not as much words. Because we initially, one of our offerings was doing blogs. Uh, but then we realized if we can do video and podcast, we can definitely cover all those other things. Right. Yeah. So much comes from video. So much comes from podcasts. It, like blogs can be a part of so many other things there. You are like the absolute king with the segues because I want to talk about big content. I th you think you were just sensing that I was about to bring it up. So what is big content for anybody who's not familiar? Because I'm, I'm sure people have seen it and are really surrounded by it, but I'm not sure if they've heard it referred to as big content before. Yeah, so I call it big content. You may have heard it as pillar content or base content. I call it big content because it takes something big to be big enough to chop up into smaller pieces. And that was my my secret recipe as an individual doing my own personal branding content was that I was able to create big content. So no, I wasn't going to go out and write 10 blogs or no, I didn't have the capacity to think up you know, a hundred new ideas for tweets or for, for Instagram posts. But what I could do was I could create a 10 minute long video or a 15, 30 minute long podcast. And from that, you figure out of a video, let's just take a, a, a video as a big content. Let's say even this podcast we're doing right now, we're recording it. So out of this 20, 30 minutes of us having a conversation, first of all, it's natural conversation. So it's unique because nobody's written it. Nobody's, you know, rewritten someone else's blog. We're having You're about to blow our cover. I'm literally reading off my notebook word for word here. <laughs> but the conversations, I don't have a script. So whatever you ask me is off the dome, right? So whatever we say today is unique. Google loves unique, right? So there's nothing we're saying that's been said before in, in this way. So for every point that we make, every question we ask, that's a unique piece of content. So every two minutes we're making a new piece of content every sentence we say that's a that's a catch that's a value to someone is a tweet is a instagram post so right now as you create this big content the big content is you have a new episode for your podcast the content from that comes the transcript from this is a blog article or two every time we make a point that's a value that's a post for linkedin for instagram uh the videos of those quotes are additional pieces of content. So that's how I managed to make, you know, such a monster amount of content was shoot for the big stuff, you know, shoot for, for long podcasts, shoot for video, even a thought leadership video with uh, you know, with a corporation, if you can get 15 minutes out of the CEO at very least every five minutes is another piece of content. You know, if he says one thing that's interesting, quote that with a picture, another tweet, so I've learned that if you go for the big content, if you can, if you can tackle and, and win with big content, then you'll outpace anyone who's trying to start with the little content. Something you said a little while ago that is one of my new favorite quotes is that Google loves unique, which is true. It makes a lot of sense. I've just never heard it articulated quite like that before. How do you keep that, I guess, uniqueness when you are working on big content that might be, you know, an hour plus of recording. 
I always leave room for conversation. In other words, even if you have a set list of questions to ask, ask them as open-ended as possible, listen, respond back, and get the person to just have the conversation. Because, you know, as much as you can get in that big content that's not scripted is all unique. Now, given, you know, if the, the higher up you get in the company, you're going to have certain ideas and ideals and things you want to, that are kind of scripted in the CEO's mind of what, if you say, you know, what is your company's core value? They've already got that memorized. That's not going to be very new. But if you ask them a question like, you know, what do you feel about your core values or what's your take on it? Or, you know, what kind of objections have you had to your core values? Something's going to be different. So always push for conversation, push for someone to, to come off the top of their dome with just new information that's not uh, already scripted. And I think that's the best way to get there is through conversation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm all for that approach. And you've seen it yourself on the hosting and, you know, on the podcast and video side as well. Uh, even this interview, I mean, let's take this as, as an example. You know now very well that when I send an outline to my guests, I send a bulleted outline so you have somewhat of an idea of what's to come, but I don't send specific questions. I make sure that it doesn't feel too scripted because like you, I love to leave that room for conversation and some of that natural, casual, normal conversation is really where a lot of the gems and kind of, oh, uh-huh moments come from. How else do you kind of, how, how do you prepare this sort of, these big content forms to be more likely to have a lot of moments that you can snip it out of it. As much as you can afford to have a, a client or a company um, to be outside of their normal atmosphere, I think it lends to that. There's always certain a certain level of carefulness you have to be depending on the size of the company. I mean, I've done podcasts myself representing larger organizations where I have to kind of make some notes to say, okay, I'm representing this company, this organization can or cannot go across this line. But I think it's worthy too, if you're, if you're the interviewer to ask that client beforehand. So let me, you know, tell me where some of the lines are. Do you have your, you know, your quarterly release tomorrow? Can I not mention, you know, that your stock just spiked? You know what? I, why I did I forget to mention that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then do it on purpose. Yeah. But yeah, the, the key is I think to, if you can, if you know you have a client or interviewee, who has boundaries, I would say find out where they are before the interview. Um, and then also, since you know where they are, you know what to push. <laughs> you know, you can push those boundaries and, and ask those questions. So I think with, with conversations, though, being the first part, the second part is trying to, to get them a little bit out of their comfort zone to make them, well, first comfortable enough to just talk with you, but also push the limit a little bit. Um, and let them know it's okay uh, that, that I'll edit things out if you don't want me to, to use this. All those things tend to come into play when you have a good conversation. Yeah, they definitely do. And I, I like how you focus on this area of big content and, and making sure that, hey, you know, like this whole thing might not be perfect, but if you just kind of start and strive for that big content, there's so many things that can come out to it. And now I'm wondering from your perspective, what's the, what's kind of the tie back to, your business here? Like what's the, what's the best way that you've seen personally that focusing on this type of big content can actually lead to growing your business? Well, actually our business was built off of, as they say, eating our own dog food. I mean, we do a lot of content marketing. The majority of our customers came from content marketing and it came from 
not so carefully scripted information as it was, hey, my customer could use this information. Let me turn on the camera and tell them. In fact, it could be as quick as you're on a sales call and the person says, say I'm on a call with, say, for example, a podcast client. I'm trying to close a new podcast client. They say, you know, how exactly do you record studio quality from a distance? I'll make a note. New blog article, new video, how to record video, you know, podcast from a distance. So if you listen to your customers, they'll give you ideas for those for those big pieces of content. And then don't overthink it. Just simply turn on the camera or start writing and give that answer. Give that answer, and then you'll find yourself building a library of content um, that answers questions, that's useful for your customer, that drives your business just off of you having the nerve to just turn on the camera just create that content and you know of course like I said the goal is big content and oftentimes if you ask me a question about for that example like how do you record for, through distances if I turn on the camera if I just start writing I may have three or four points in there I make while I'm doing that piece and that means wow and, okay. and tweets and Instagram posts within that as well yeah because it becomes big content if you say how do you do it Lee and I said well there's three ways to do it and I realized, okay, I did one video that shows you the three ways, but that's three ways, which means there's three more videos because I can break them up. And then I can do more tweets about how to find this one of the three ways. So there's so many ways to spin it once you get that one big idea. And those all, all those ideas point towards helping your customer be successful. So that drives business. Big content drives business. If you need some big content of your own in podcast form, Email me at max at maxpodcasting.com. Now, to find out what Lee does every night before bed. I'd love to switch it up a little bit and get into inspiration and creativity. So on this end, I'm wondering how you chose the songs. No, I'm just kidding. But in terms of how you create the content you create and how you advise your clients and people you work with to come up with the content that they create are there typically hobbies or different trends you see for how you and clients are able to stay creative able to come up with these ideas that actually in turn turn out to be big content which in turn turns out to be i guess small content we all come across these ideas we just don't write them down we don't catch them you know we go oh that's interesting or that's informative but then it passes by so for me i keep a running a running notepad on my phone that says customer ask about XYZ, do a video about XYZ. And, and I might even go back tomorrow and go, Oh, you know what? Let's break down XYZ by these three, three different ways. So the point being that I always take notes quickly, even if I wake up in the middle of the night with an idea, I <laughs> write it down because I think my best content comes from moments from fleeting moments of inspiration, from a problem that needs to be solved by a question that's asked. And if I don't capture those moments and write them down, then, you know, they'll, they'll get lost. And I'll tend to look back at that note and go, wow, I've got 10 things I need to script for or write for or do a video for. And I ne I'm never at a loss for, for ideas for content because I keep that notepad rolling and I'm always behind if anything, at creating the content more so than short on ideas. Well, that's a good place to be on the notes side as far as when you're literally jotting down these ideas as they come to you in the middle of the night. 
are you personally a fan of using the notes app in the phone or do you have like a, a journal you keep by you at night? I use a notes app. I mean, I, I have a journal, but the problem, the problem is the journal I have and I have it for, you know, I do one of these success mind tricks of writing down your 10 things you want to accomplish in life every night by my nightstand. But then the problem happens hmm. where, yeah, and that's another part of my life is I'm, I'm obsessed with it. Yeah. We'll, we'll get there in a second. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the problem with that is at some point that notebook gets moved and it's somewhere else and it's not there when I need it. And unfortunately being that it's, 2020, 2021, I'm addicted to my phone and my phone is never further than a foot from my hand. <laughs> so it's always there. So, I mean, I think if I could always, you know, just blink and it was paper in front of me, I would do more paper, but the phone is always there. It's always updated. And if I were to put my phone down, it's also my computer. So, so yeah, I, I use my phone for that. Just a simple notes app. Yeah, that's true. I love the notes app myself and I hadn't thought about it that way, but it's so true. If somebody would just kind of like sweep your phone away, you are going to drop whatever you're doing and go find your phone right away. It's very different than if like somebody's shuffle, shuffling around uh, a notebook or some loose papers like that. And you mentioned you have this mind trick where you write down 10 things every night. Can you take us through that? Yeah. And I'm not sure where I got it from because I've read it several places and I, and I found it Oh, I went through about a year and a half, and I still do it every, pretty often, of reading all these success secret type books. And, you know, one of my favorites is, um, what is it called? Habits. I think it's Success Habits. I don't quote Oh, that the right Charles Duhigg, that one? Maybe not. There's lots of them, obviously. Well, old Charles, you just got a random shout out that wasn't deserved, so you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, well, the thing is, though, once you read enough of these books, you realize that they're all talking about the same thing which is good because you get a different take on the same rule and you, you learn to say, well, you know what, if this guy and this research and that guy all said the same thing, it must be a worth worthy habit. So one of the habits was to, you know, write down your, the things you're going to have, like I will have, um, you know, $1 million to donate by 2022 or whatever, whatever you're going to have, you write it down and for me, I take it another level because I write that list down, one, to put it in my brain, to put it in my future. And two, when I go to bed to look at that list, I think, what did I do today to contribute to these things? And if I can't check off at least three or four of them to say I contributed to this thing, you know, if, if for example, my goal is I will publish, you know, my own book. If I've not at least written a page or an idea, then I can't check that box. You know, so I have these things. It's the same. It's the same eight things I have, and maybe every six months to a year, one or two may add or fall off. But I keep those things by my bed, and I rewrite them. I physically every page looks the same. I physically rewrite every single one to cement it in my brain. That's fascinating. What you're doing really is you're holding yourself accountable, and I think even taking it to the next level, if like literally writing it on a a new page every time you hear so much about kind of accountability partners and having somebody else hold you accountable, but you have the ability to hold yourself accountable and kind of use, you know, whether it's a, a notes app or a notebook or post-it notes that you leave on your desk or above your pillow every night, stuff like that can really, really go a long way. So it's really neat that that's worked out for you and, and it's become such a, a big, big, big content, a big ritual for you. Yeah. Cause I can't blame anybody else. I mean, I, I'd like to say, Oh man, my wife just bought some ice cream. It's her fault. I'm getting fat. 
<laughs> it works for a moment, but it's not true. You know, the fact is, it's up to me not to eat the ice cream, not her. That's there. I think different rules when it comes to ice cream. <laughs> there you go. Let's get to a fan favorite segment called the Wild Business Shout Out of the Week. The Wild Business Shout Out of the Week. Wild Business Shout Out of the Week. This is where we talk about a recent campaign uh, creative marketing approach that caught our attention. And there's something with Burberry, a really, really kind of just eye-popping ad that they had. You mind taking us through what you saw and why it's memorable for you? Yeah. So it's funny because first the ad caught my attention because of the special effects. I wanted to know how they did this video. But after I got past that, I realized as a regular consumer, they nailed a lot of things. First of all, they took advantage of how popular dance routines are. You know, you have all these dance shows, you have TikTok, everybody can kind of dig dance routines right now. And then they had a very eclectic group of people doing this dance scene. And then I realized, wait a minute, this is really, really cool, really edgy, urban dance scene, which you would typically imagine more, I don't know, streetwear clothing for, for a dance routine in this, in the middle of a city. And you almost lose sight that, wait a minute, they're all wearing Burberry. You know, it isn't like some lady walking down Fifth Avenue with her little dog in her purse and a Burberry bag. It's just the stereotype. No, this is like, you know, 20 somethings doing this hip hop dance routine in the middle of the street. And on top of that, there's these huge chunks of ice falling out of the sky, just crashing everywhere around them. They're not phased by it at all. They dance over it. They dance around it. The ice doesn't hit them. That's the special effect that caught my eye. I'm like, how do you do that all that much dancing? And then they stay on top of the ice. I'm like, okay, I could see CGI of ice falling, but then they dance on top of it. How does this work? So I had to see the behind the scenes of that. But I saw it with two eyes. First, I saw it as a videographer's eyes and a producer's eyes because I like creating content. I'm like, how was this done? But then I saw it as a consumer, like, wow, okay, they just made Burberry really, really cool because it's a dance squad. The people are cool. They have that I want to be that cool element to them. Um, they're wearing all this warm winter gear, this Burberry, and it just, it just made Burberry really cool. I mean, you know, every, you know, brands, clothing brands come and go and certain patterns come and go. Um, and Burberry is known for that particular pattern. There's just people who you would not expect seeing wearing those patterns and they made it really cool. Yeah. I think those are words to live by is just make it really cool. I mean, take any brand, if you make stuff cool, I mean, it's pretty cool. How do I sell that? Make it really cool. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there you go. That's all, that, that's the marketing strategy right there. But that is a, a cool example. Uh, Burberry is definitely an iconic brand that's been around for so long. And I think anybody that knows the pattern, knows the brand, I think would be surprised to hear about that commercial, especially the fact that something that made you bring up Burberry in the first place was special effects or CGI. Like that's that's just something that they totally kind of is, is different than their brand legacy. So you know, it's funny you mention that because if you, if I were to say Mountain Dew special effects wouldn't surprise you, you wouldn't think twice about it. Burberry special effects, whoa, let me see what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so true. And I think that's one of the things that's been really, really fascinating as, you know, we get more and more into the digital social marketing era is how there's so many new tools for brands that have these super, you know, long old historic legacies to kind of reinvent themselves and also to kind of target new generations. And, you know, one way to do that is, as you said, 
make it cool, make it cool like that. So maybe there are some special effects. Maybe there are things you can do like that. If you were to point to one thing in this commercial that they did best, what would it be? Bringing back a traditional brand. You know, you could, you could name any traditional brand that has a stereotype. Definitely takes the art to bring it back. I mean, Buick is trying it. They haven't convinced me yet. They got some really cool commercials. They have, their music is very memorable. I feel like you always, there's like that Buick jingle. It's not even words, but just the song. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just. I give them an A for effort. Yeah, but it's still my dad's, my granddad's car. I just can't bring myself to, uh, they're trying. You know what they need? They need falling ice. <laughs> they need falling ice and special effects. Exactly. All right. Let's wrap up with some rapid fire Q&A. You ready for it? Ready. Let's go. Other than DJing, and I'm not saying DJing is weird, but this is just what I kind of how I classify these. What is another a weird talent or kind of like a, a hidden talent or even a, a party trick you have, if you will? <laughs> uh, accents. Go on. Please do tell. Don't ask for one. I'll just tell you that while I was a DJ, I did country radio and urban radio at the same time. And I would go down the hall and I would literally go from Vince Gill to Johnny Gill in like five minutes. <laughs> the Gill to Gill switch up. Nicely done. On that DJ note, in all your years of DJing, what do you think is the single single biggest song that got made everybody go crazy whenever you played it? Oh, gosh. Man, I DJed for a long time. That's hard to say. Oh, man. Maybe Lil John and Usher, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, oh, my God. Yeah, that was... Because uh, I was touring at that time internationally, and it was like a song I could play anywhere, and it always worked. But it got played out kind of fast, too. And so it'll have its, you know, its renaissance again, I'm sure. But um, that's just one yeah. of those songs that, you know, it was a failsafe. Yeah. Yeah, and I can't stop saying, yeah, you've, I don't know what you did to me. On the content monster note, what is your favorite monster in movie history jeez mm, maybe the kraken pirates of the caribbean Ooh, good one. Oh, okay I, I thought you were talking about the uh the rum commercial for a second but that <laughs> that that applies as well and then what is a tip that you have for djing find your personality and style and whether that's a a country accent well, like I said, you know, with content, you know, you have to realize you're playing the same records everybody else has. Quick story. I was on tour in Germany and there's this thing that DJs have when you're a house DJ, when you're, when that's your club and you're the resident DJ, you're always kind of envious of the guy who comes in as a special guest because the special guest has the billboard and all that, all the excitement and you're just a house DJ. So here I am coming in as the, the guy on the billboard with all the, the whole town's plastered with my with my face and everything, and my um, road manager warned me. Said, "Look now, this guy who's the house DJ, he he tries to shit on every DJ that comes in because he hates that he's not a tour DJ. So expect he's gonna try to burn you before you come on, and that means play all the hits the hour before I come on." I, I've heard uh, Avicii with levels. I heard that happened to him everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, his own song, right? So this was part of, actually, I gave a presentation at um, at Bright Cove a year or two ago, one of my um, presentations, and I was paralleling the DJ thing with, with, the, uh, with content creation. And I said, look, here I am playing the exact same music this other guy did. What can I do different? 
Well, it came down to me knowing my music better than anybody else. I knew down to the sentence, down to the count, every record I had. So I could cut records together and literally put a sentence from one song into the sentence of another song. I could use the acapella from one song over the beat of another song. I would do live studio remixes live in the DJ booth during a show. So the songs you heard me play, you can't hear, they were never recorded, so you can't hear it anywhere else. So that was my way of taking that content and presenting it in a way so unique that no one else could duplicate it. And I'd give that same flavor to creating any kind of content for business. Hey, you said way back at the start that Google loves unique. And so even though it wasn't specifically for Google at the start, you had that unique aspect in mind and creating that unique sound. And it's so cool to hear about how that started in the music world and then transition. And, you know, there's some overlap there into the business world as well. Lee, thank you so much. This has been fantastic and really, really cool hearing about your story and all the cool and unique things that you're up to and, and, and that you've seen out, out and about as well. Where's the best place for people to connect with you and to learn more about Content Monster? So uh, two places. One, I just launched aleejudge.com. So I was trying to bring everything together. And then from there, you can also find contentmonster.com. And that's M-O-N-S-T-A, contentmonster.com. Perfect. A. So one, one website, one, one URL starts with the A, the other one ends with the A. Perfect. <laughs> and uh, last thing here, final thoughts. It could be a quote. It could be uh, an accent. I know you love doing accents on the spot. No, I'm just kidding. But it could be anything you want. Send us off here. Stage is yours, as it usually is. All right. So my, my parting words are when it comes to creating content right now, especially this time of what's going on in the world, we're looking for content that is authentic and that we can connect to other people. The hashtag that I've been using the past year or so is be content, not be content, but be content. So you yourself have the ability to show, to educate, to inspire other people. So my parting words are for you to be content. I do have to admit I'm pretty content with those final thoughts as well. Lee, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, for sharing your amazing stories, your content, things that make us content. And thank you, Wild Listeners, for tuning in to another episode. If you want to hear more wild stories like this one, make sure to subscribe to the Wild Business Growth Podcast on your favorite app and tell a friend about the podcast. You can also find us on Good Pods. And for any questions or help with podcast production, you can learn more at maxpodcasting.com. Until next time, let your business run wild. Bring on the bongos!